Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I am joined by Danny Klein. He serves as Director of Digital Content of Food News Media. Uh, you may not know Food News Media, but you do know QSR Magazine and FSR Magazine, which uh, are a constant read for me, and I'm sure, uh, like me, you guys enjoy that content as well. This is the uh, gentleman behind the content, or at least uh, a lot of the content. So, Danny, say hi to everyone and uh, tell us uh, who you are and what you do in better detail than I have. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I think you, you summed it up pretty well there, but you know, basically we cover the quick service side of uh, the restaurant industry with QSR and the full service side with FSR. And, and personally, I just cover the trends, daily news, um, talking to operators, things like that, just for our digital properties. So anything you see on our websites, our daily emails, which hopefully you're subscribed to, <laughs> Um, you know, that's all part of kind of what I do on a daily basis. I love it. I mean, so being director of digital, uh, you, you definitely have your finger on the pulse of what's happening, especially gosh, after a pandemic year, uh, a lot of turbulence, a lot of ups, a lot of well, more downs than ups, I think. But, um, what have been some of the most surprising trends in the past year, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a loaded question. <laughs> You know, I, I, we were actually talking about this recently, just kind of, um, you know, where were we in March of last year, you know, as a news organization and, and kind of how we saw that first couple of weeks. And, and I think we were pretty aware it was going to become a really uh, wild run. Um, I think, though, like most people, we did not expect it to last as long as it did. I mean, if you kind of remember... Back at the beginning, we were saying things like, oh, it'll be over by Easter or, you know, mid-April or the summer. And it just kept going on and on and on. And it just, it's been really remarkable, though, from from really kind of watching restaurants evolve and adapt. I mean, so much of those early days were really survival tactics. And a lot of it was technology-based, especially on the full-service side. It was, you know we've got to get on delivery if we weren't doing it or, you know, maybe meal kits or alcohol to go, you know, whatever might fit for us, or maybe it didn't fit for us, but we have no choice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it became, you know, how do you reopen? Do we push the tables, you know, aside? I mean, I actually remember early on before, you know, it was even mandated that some restaurants were just removing half their tables so that people could kind of sit away from each other and that being kind of a really crazy story, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, and then you went from suddenly, you know, you had these 25% capacities and 50 and 75 and every market was different and multi-unit operators were trying to, you know, navigate franchisees through this and trying to figure out where did the science match up and did consumers believe this? And it, it was just such a crazy journey 
and frankly, it's, you know, it's still going on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but to your broader question of surprising trends, um, you know, I would say that the thing that really has caught my eye throughout this has just kind of been the the store model redesigns on the quick service side. You know, before COVID, the idea of like McDonald's or whoever dropping a new prototype was such a rare event. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason it was rare is obvious. I mean, the capital is intense. I mean, when they were doing their experience of the future redesign, I mean, that was one of the biggest stories over the course of probably three or four years. I mean, the amount of money was extraordinary. Um, is that the, um, the one that they did in Chicago, I believe? We'll get back to the show in just one minute. But first, to say the restaurant industry is tough would be a gross understatement. It takes a certain kind of leader to create and scale successful restaurant brands. The kind of leader willing to grab the bull by the horns. But what does that look like? That's exactly what I cover in my new book, The Bullhearted Brand, building bullish restaurant brands that charge ahead of the herd. In The Bullhearted Brand, I deliver profound, inspirational truisms through the lens of multicultural fables, folklore, and real-life stories where bulls play a heroic role. I couple these stories with first-hand experiences of good, bad, and ugly branding and marketing to deliver applicable strategic thinking and knowledge. I'm kickstarting the book's publication to cover the cost of production and launch. On the Kickstarter page, you can pledge at different levels and receive bullhearted gear, from super awesome Raglan t-shirts to limited edition hand-signed and numbered lithograph prints of the collage illustrations inspired by those bull stories. Please visit the Kickstarter page and support the project via a pledge a social media share, or both. Now, back to the show. So the experience of the future is all those kiosks you yeah. see inside McDonald's now. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, that scales back a few years. But, but the point kind of being that that was any prototype or new restaurant design or drive-through change was huge news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when we suddenly had within the course of, I would say, two months, pretty much every major quick service restaurant in America release just these wild prototypes. I mean, Burger King has this uh, image where, you know, they're sending food through a conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, whether or not that ends up opening, I have no idea. But, you know, just what comes out of this from a real estate perspective, um, from a design perspective, I think is going to be game changing for years and decades to come. Um, You know, this idea that now, you know, you can pull into a a curbside dedicated spot at a Taco Bell, you know, things like that are really going to last. Um, you know, I was talking to someone recently about, you know, kind of like, you know, this, this idea of, of what changes are here to stay or, you know, the consumer has changed for good and, you know, what does that mean? And a lot of people initially off the bat say, okay, well, you know, food safety and sanitation and, wearing masks and staying away from each other. But these things all have a shelf life to some degree. But what does not have a shelf life and what probably has changed forever is the definition of convenience, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, during the pandemic, you know, for example, if you ordered Jersey Mike's um, on an app and you went in and you just picked it up and you didn't have to queue in line, you know, you may never do that again, right? (laughs) So. I think that that's, that's the lasting change is the convenience element to come out of COVID. Um, and that's going to be an evolving journey. So, you know, I, I think it was coming already. 
Um, but it, it was accelerated to a point that we would have never, ever seen had this not arrived. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, spoke at a conference, um, <clears throat> I want to say maybe like three years ago. Uh, yeah. Wow. 2019. And I was, I was talking about revolutionizing the, the restaurant, you know, format as a whole, like what's next and everything. And I mean, I really hammered home. Like, yeah, I know you're starting to see some kiosks. You're starting to see online ordering, but this stuff we're not even scratching the surface and you got to make the investments now. Um, little did I know, uh, little did I know that, like you said, the whole thing would be completely, I mean, what's faster than accelerated. Uh, there's gotta be a word for that. I mean, like ludicrous speed, all of a sudden it was like, no, 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 it's now. It's not, it's not soon. It's now. And, yeah, uh, yeah. the compression yeah. is kind of the word I've heard a lot is that it compressed within the matter of months, you know, or weeks or whatever it was for whoever you're talking about. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a spot on thing because it's, you know, we, we were all headed this way in quick service in terms of trying to remove friction from the ordering experience, especially mobile, you know, and, and anything involving digital ordering, but it became a you know it became a lifeline though because you really didn't have a choice. I mean, you didn't want you know five hundred people calling the restaurant, yeah, <laughs> you know every day and things like that. So it was just sent into kind of you know hyperspeed or, or ultra drive. We can yeah. keep using different phrases, <laughs> yeah, for this. But but yeah, I mean that's where we are now. So it it ushered in that era, and I don't think we're going back. Yeah, I mean there's there's talks of like going back to normal, I just, uh, and I can't stand the phrase new normal, but I I don't see, I mean, it it takes, what do they say? A few weeks for a new behavior to set in. Uh, we, we've, we've been doing this for more than a few weeks. And so I do see a slingshot back to dining in, uh, as people, as the science and the, you know, leadership, um, start to display belief in science, meaning, Uh, We still need masks as of this date of recording, but as people get vaccinated, as people recover from COVID, the science says that we're good and that masks are probably not necessary any longer. Um, I'm looking forward to that moment. I think when that happens, the older demographic, we will start to see more active in in in-person dining. Uh, I don't know about where where you're living, but here in, in Georgia, I'm pretty astounded by the youth just don't seem to care. They're just sort of like, yeah, whatever, dude. I mean, and, and maybe they shouldn't because the, the statistics show that they're very much not in danger of uh, being anything other than uncomfortable as with any other like cold. Um, but I, I think we're all looking forward to those moments, but the, the sanitary, the sanitization and, and keeping things clean, I think um, for, for better, is now in focus because for a while, like people knew that, but um, there are a lot of operators who I think didn't necessarily take it as serious as they needed to. And now it's like, if there is any signs of, you know, unsanitary practices, I don't think a restaurant's going to recover very well from that. So those, those uh, inspection scores of 95 or or less are are like going to be death nails at least for a very long time. Uh, Would you agree with that? Or am I just speculating? Oh yeah, no. I mean, it's it's you know, I almost didn't bring it up before, just because it's table stakes now. You know, it and it and it should have always been like you said, but it probably wasn't, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. There's without question now that if you lose that trust on the food safety element in this world that we live in now, you're probably lost that consumer for good. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and, and you have to, and a lot of those things wearing masks and cleaning tables, and customers still want to see that. And I think they're going to want to see it for a while. Um, so, so yeah, no, I I totally agree, and and kind of something that you mentioned there about dining out that I think is almost reverses to the the other side of what we were talking about with quick service is I think you know, there's actually going to be an even better opportunity for full service restaurants um, because of that convenience element and quick service to actually lean into um, the social dining experience as we, we kind of seek out what we really missed. I mean, there's been so many studies about, you know, what did people miss most, you know, throughout the past year or so and dining out is always really high. So, you know, I actually think, you know, hospitality and better service and, you know, sitting down to dinner for an hour. <laughs> I mean, those, that was getting kind of blurry before COVID a little bit, um, you know, trying to understand, you know, whether or not you wanted to put a kiosk on the table in a, you know, casual dining restaurant and things like that. But I, I think that that will actually become a really good white space opportunity for full service to separate themselves from, you know, the McDonald's of the world now, because there will be a lot of people who have had McDonald's, <laughs> you know, through the drive through and through pickup and all these different things in the past year. But one thing that they have not done is gone down and sat at a restaurant and had someone serve them and, you know, bring them alcohol and drinks and all that stuff. So I think that that's going to, and we hear a lot about that pent up demand, you know, and that, that opportunity sitting on the other side. And I think that's going to be a very, very real thing. And, and it's exciting. So, you know, I, I hope we're headed there. I don't know when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> But I do think that, that that moment is gonna arrive. And I've actually already seen it with older people where I live, where I've seen I go out, you know, and I I go by a restaurant and it's all old people, you know, <laughs> dining out because I guess they're vaccinated. So um I do think that that moment is coming. Um and hopefully sooner than later, but you know, we'll see. That uh yeah, that's a positive sight indeed. Um Looks like Miss Maggie in the background is uh, awake for a moment. Uh, for those who are listening in, Maggie is a beautiful basset hound. Is it she a basset hound? Yeah, she is. She is definitely a basset. Yeah, hound. hanging out in the background. <laughs> um, so it's funny yeah. you mentioned uh, McDonald's. Um, I went through the drive-through a while back. Uh, I, I usually don't eat that kind of food, but I was in a pinch and I just had a hankering, and I, I just happened to look, and they had a hundred percent inspection score, and mm-hmm. Uh, so you mentioned like if people expect it or not. Um, I definitely didn't. I expected nineties, you know, but I asked for the manager in the drive through and I was like, Hey, great job, dude. Like that is a great, like good work, you know, because I feel like those fast food, greasy spoon restaurants could get away with a little bit of, uh, you know, dirt. I don't think people are going there for the cleanest experience, but to see that level of operational excellence is great. Um, yeah, and that's there's. I think there's another part to that too. I, I, someone had mentioned this to me the other day: is that without dine-in service, <laughs> it's becoming easier to be clean. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's you know, that's a short-term thing, but interesting to think about that. You know, when you're operating drive-through only, um, you know, and it's just your employees a little bit. Um, you can control that a little more than you were before. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. That's something, but to your, to your bigger point, I do think that every brand, especially the chains with the resources that they're going to make that a major, major priority. There's no question about that. So with the fast or not fast casual, um, uh, the casual full service restaurants, 
do, do you see this as a potential death nail? I mean, they've already been struggling. Like, you know, the Ruby Tuesdays, the, the Applebee's, the TGI Fridays, um, these places that, uh, yeah, I hate to throw punches, but they're, they're pretty low on the service, um, even though they try to be really good. Uh, and I guess what I'm getting at and what makes me think this could be is uh, we already have a shortage of talent of people who want to be in that restaurant space. I don't think that that is going to spring back too much. And so talent who's out there, talent, meaning people who know not just how to go through the motions of service, but actually provide remarkable service. um, They're not going to want to go to a place like Fridays when they have an opportunity to maybe go to a place that is a higher end restaurant that has the hallmarks of fine service. So do you think that divide gets exacerbated? And do you see a world where maybe the Applebee's and the, and the Fridays and, and those folks rethink full service and go to more of a true fast casual model, meaning quicker ordering, but then the people focus on servicing the guest? What do you think about that without getting yourself into any danger? <laughs> Well, no, so I, I do not think it's a death knell for casual dining. In fact, I, I think it has the potential to be the opposite if, if gone about smartly. Um, you know, back in the, like a decade ago or so, when you really sort of saw this casual dining struggle where you had these massive chains start to retract, a lot of the issue there was that they they kind of lost sight of that core brand affinity. And a lot of you know people started to blame millennials because we get blamed for most things. Yeah, it is all your fault, but that's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like on the outside of being a millennial, but um, I guess I technically am one. But, but yeah, I mean, essentially what, what happened was that you saw restaurants like Chili's getting these gigantic menus and they were trying to appeal to people who never went there in the first place. And it ended up being a, you know, a, a serious brand drift problem that really stretched across Applebee's and everybody in that sector. Um, however, I see this opportunity as being almost the reverse of that, you know, Outback, um, Darden, and a lot of these brands, they really shrunk their menus. Um, that's something they've been talking about a lot, you know, in the last few weeks and months. And, you know, one of the things about that is that it improved, ex, you know, execution and, you know, cut down on food waste and, and some things like that allowed them to be better at specific things. You know, Outback's case, you know, was really like a steak focused menu. And they also brought the price down a little bit on, on some of the appetizers and entrees. And, and that's, you know, kind of an interesting thing to me because I, I think that, that this is a chance to become more of who you were. Um, and, you know, consumers in the last year with, a lot of local restaurants and independents, you know, struggling or closing or maybe not being able to serve off premise locations, you know, they, they really had an opportunity to introduce themselves to customers who maybe had not considered them before, you know, they went out to think like, where can I eat? You know, maybe, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Chili's might've been the only option at that moment, you know, where before they had a lot of different places they could order from. And I think that gave them a chance to kind of lean into you know, Red Robin refers to it as moments of connection, um, you know, family dining, bringing, you know, a millennial family as they start to get into their 30s and they have kids and stuff like that. So I think there's a big chance here 
for that kind of segment that, you know, was probably a little bit tired in certain circles. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other part of that too, that I keep hearing about, I don't know if this is actually playing out in real time, but is this demographic shift out of the urban markets into the suburbs for a lot of younger people. And oftentimes when you do that, what do you find but casual dining, right? Right. So, so you might say, Oh, you know, I've kind of always heard of Applebee's, but living in New York city, I didn't go to one, but now that I'm in the suburbs, you know, might give it a shot. But to your, to your point um, of labor and talent and service, you know, you can't just, you know, hope that that's going to happen. And then you get the one time guest and then they never come back. So, you know, we've heard a lot of good things from these restaurants in terms of improving service. Uh, you know, going back to Red Robin, they've got this whole new model called the TGX where they're essentially trying to, you know, you, you're getting orders at the table with a handheld device. And so, you know, your drink might arrive before the person next to you even finishes their order, that kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and, and yeah, and that kind of melds a little bit of like, is this completely full service like a fine dining experience or is it a little bit of a fast casual mixed in with having a waiter um and i think that's a good question you know and and i don't know how exactly how it evolves but i will say that you know i i hope the casual dining (laughs) that they emerge from this more consumer focused than they were a decade ago with a chance to perhaps use technology and scale as a differentiator Mm -hmm. and to actually focus on the things that younger consumers want, which is going to be better food quality, you know, maybe a sustainability driven purpose and also, you know, service and, and waiters and things like that, that are more in tune and you don't walk out saying, well, you know, that was a horrible (laughs) experience because I think, you know, five, 10 years ago as a, as a millennial, you, you really didn't see yourself in one of these places that wasn't your crowd. It wasn't your people. And, and you see this now, like even if you look at Denny's, you know, their Tumblr and their social media accounts and IHOP and all these kind of brands, they're starting to appeal and become, you know, more relatable instead of like being this kind of stodgy old um, brand and value too, to the earlier point is going to be a huge part of this, especially with Applebee's. That's kind of who they hang their hat on, what they've lost sight of and they got back to and mm-hmm. get out of the pandemic. It's going to be a big part of, um, how they can differentiate from those smaller independents. So, so yeah, you know, I, I do think that there is a bright future in casual dining, but it's going to take some work. So yeah. there will be winners and losers as always. Yeah, I can, I can see it, um, you know, especially with rising uh, crime rates in a lot of the major cities. Uh, that's a very real thing happening right now. Um, you know, this, this uh, pattern has emerged before. Back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s as people left um, major city centers for suburbs, I can easily see that starting to happen more and more. Um, you know, it may not be though to the to the extent that it happened the first time around but certainly that would uh help casual dining thrive in combination with what you said i mean let's face it they were bloating their menu so much like you said that it became what is a fridays like what is it i don't even know you know what's a chili's what's a ruby tuesdays what's an applebee's what how do i categorize these brands and if i see a chili's on my left side and a and a fridays on my right side What's really helping me make that choice for the kind of evening I want to have? Um, so hopefully they're doing a lot of soul searching because I think that will help them land on their feet and uh, start to commit to something. 
as opposed to commit to everything. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that old term of, you know, being all things to all people and ending up standing for nothing. Yeah. I think that described that category really, really well <laughs> a yep. few years ago. So, you know, the soul searching that you mentioned, you know, COVID was a, a really great time for that for these brands and, and i think you'll see them you'll, you will see unit count drop down out of it mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing right um unless you're so investing. yeah I mean, <laughs> let's ask let's ask this question again three years from now yeah let's see <laughs> how smart we are <laughs> but in talking to casual dining operators and just hearing them you know on some of these kind of calls and things you know i will say that there is a level of optimism there that was not there a few years ago i think they see the, these shifting trends and they've seen a lot of business in the last year from consumers they were not getting before mm-hmm. um, via delivery or or what have you but you know will will these be repeat customers you know that right. that is what time will tell here so that's great. Well, so be, besides the uh, format trends, um, you know, we, we saw the chicken sandwich wars happen. Uh, looks like they're maybe heating up a little bit, or at least Zaxby's wants them to heat up a bit uh, as they right. finally release their chicken sandwich. Um, what what other trends are you seeing? And then maybe what trends seem like they're going to fizzle out? Um, well, yeah, I, the chicken sandwich wars are fun. Um, there's no, you know, and what I keep telling people is there's no evidence of them dying down. It's just, and what's kind of exciting about them and Zaxby's being a good example here is that every time that there is a story like that, they all use each other to kind of leverage their own product again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Taco Bell, a few, maybe like a month ago, had this chicken sandwich taco. <laughs> <laughs> and Zaxby's just sort of made fun of it and other people chimed in. But, but yeah, so, so it's going to continue to feed itself and it's good for the consumer. Um, and, you know, from sales wise, it appears to also be good for the chicken restaurants who are releasing these, you know, sandwiches, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, one thing I will say is in terms of fizzling out, I, I know that we've seen a lot of movement toward comfort food in the last year. And I think that that's got a, I think the clock is ticking on that to a degree because I think the reason for that mm-hmm. out of the gate made a lot of sense. You know, people were, they lost a little bit of their adventurous dining side, you know, or, you know, if you were ordering, you might order the thing that you, you knew and trusted or that you maybe missed or, you know, reminded you of something comforting. Cause you know, we were all living these crazy uncomfortable lives. So, you know, it's like, all right, yeah. well now it's, for mashed potatoes and, and gravy or whatever, but well, I can you really afford to spend a ton of money on a plate yeah. that you don't know is good or not to have it delivered and all that other stuff? Like, you know what I mean? If you mess right. that up, you, you don't really have an option for food quickly. You know, uh, at, at a restaurant, yeah. you could send it back and say, "Go get me the hamburger." This, you know, this tuna tartare with. Uh, caper foam on top is not what I hoped it would be. <laughs> uh, right. But with th- third-party delivery, man, that's a, that's a $200 evening um, if you're not careful. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think, though, as we emerge out of the quarantine fog and we kind of start going back in the public, we're going to get a little bit more health-focused, which is where the needle was going before COVID, especially in, fa- especially in fast casual. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that was the story for 
a long time and you know plant-based burgers it was like you know when have we even heard about that in the last year <laughs> that was that was such a big story over and over again and ahead of it you know who was like you know burger king impossible burger and all these sort of things right i think that's going to come back um i think people are going to you know actually go about it pretty fiercely because they're going to say oh man i've been in my house for you know all these months and i've probably gained 30 pounds and you know whatever it is um <laughs> So, so I think health, health focused dining is going to have a play a big role as we, as we go forward. And some of that comfort food stuff is going to come back a little bit, especially as we start to balance dining in and eating at home, you know, to more normal levels. Um, so that's one, you know, and I, yeah. and I don't know where we are in that spectrum of that being a thing. I know personally, I've kind of started to do that already when I dine out. It's like, okay, I've ordered a lot of pizzas in the last, mm-hmm. you know, year. I should probably, you know, consider <laughs> doing something else. Um, and even then, like, you know, you were you were ordering one of the biggest trends in the early days were, were less orders, but larger orders, you know, Domino's and a lot of brands were reporting this, you know, and, and some of that stemmed from it's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, you know, Danny, you go out and get food for everybody. You know, <laughs> you know, there wasn't really a lot of solo yeah. occasions taking place because we're not going to work and, and everything. So I think that that'll shift in time too, you know, because we are going to start going back to work. I mean, maybe not at the level as before, you know, office buildings are probably not rebound to where they were for a long time maybe ever you know i read stories about that all the time but you know no one has a good answer for that whether or not you know there's all this commercial real estate you know and something's got to give there in time but um so i think that's going to be a thing you know this idea of going and getting a coffee on your way to work which has completely died in the first you know several months of covid that's going to come back yeah um you know, Starbucks and Dunkin', they really saw this this drive toward people getting coffee as like a treat or an indulgent occasion, either mid-morning or in the afternoon. I mean, I've done that countless times where it's 3 o'clock and I'm like, I need to get out of here and I'll just go get a coffee. Yeah. Um, but what does not, what did not exist anymore was me grabbing one on my way. So I think that these are things that are going to come back and, and then there's going to be a slide, you know, if we're going to go one way or we're going to go the other, Right. you know, takeout's going to go down as dining comes up. And, and that's really what we're going to have to pay attention to is what happens to the day part occasions because they've been completely fractured and basically rewritten during COVID. Um, and how has human behavior really changed? You know, when are we eating? Is late night going to come back? Right. <laughs> are people going to start going to bars again, you know, and then getting, you know, White Castle on the way home and and all those <laughs> kind of things. Um, and what's exciting about that, if you assume that that's going to return, is that now I could go, you know, and then I could order 500 White Castles on my phone and walk in and not have to deal with the embarrassment of asking the server. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there are more tools to meet the, the kind of trends that dominated restaurants before COVID, but then went away. And so hopefully they'll all come back and then you've got more ammo to drive transactions than you did before. So, you know, we're going to have to see how it goes, but it's really a moving target on so many levels right now. Absolutely. Um, so we have time for one more question, and I think it's in the same vein here. I would love your opinion on the future of ghost kitchen virtual brand trend. Uh, 
is this something that is going to be basically incubators for uh, brick and mortar or is this something that's just going to melt away? Um, what do you, what do you think about it? <laughs> well, that's a loaded thing too, but I, I'm a, I'm personally a believer in a ghost kitchen model over the virtual brand model for the long term. Um, and the reason I say this, first of all, there are probably, we're getting to the point where there are too many virtual brands, you know, that's just starting to stretch to the point of, you know, where it's about to snap. <laughs> You're saying we don't need another wings virtual brand. Come on. Where are we supposed to get wings? <laughs> but, you know, I tried to explain recently to my father-in-law what a virtual brand was, um, you know, how you could be ordering, wings from Chili's, but it's, you don't know that it's Chili's and yet it's made at Chili's, but you get it as a customer and never knew it was from Chili's. Um, and he did not understand this. Um, (laughs) I imagine, I imagine your father, like as an old New Yorker, like, I don't understand. (laughs) Even though I have no reason to think he talks like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, it's not too far off actually. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I had no idea what I was talking about. And and I think, and then you saw a bunch of stories, this may be three weeks ago, about, you know, customers were getting, you know, Red Robin's virtual brands and they were saying like, wow, I feel almost deceived that, you know, I didn't know this was from Red Robin. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think there is a point where that becomes an issue in time, you know, and, and I think that it's, it's going, you know, now with that said, there will be brands who can pull that off. And Chili's is actually one of them because, you have the resources to basically set up all the branding and social media and things for one of these virtual brands to almost exist like a, a regular brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of those, you know, celebrity versions of this, like Mr. Beast is kind of the you know famous one. And that, that probably has some legs, but, but I think that restaurants will stop launching those in time. But what I think that they'll continue to do is lost goat or launch ghost kitchens where they can, you know, see the market. Mm-hmm decide if they should actually go in there because it's a great way to test demand, you know, with basically no overhead um, and see whether or not people would actually order your product. Um, you know, but one of the questions that I think we all have is, you know, beyond the DoorDash uh, marketing or the Uber Eats, if you launch on there as a virtual brand, they put you at top, people see it, you know, what happens a month later, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, are you still ranking high above the, you know, 400 wing chains that suddenly popped up in, you know, Atlanta? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's where you lose the value of being a Chili's or a brand that people actually searched for. And that's long been kind of the the question of a DoorDash versus, you know, direct delivery or ordering through a restaurant is that, you know, a lot of the users on a third party app are more product loyal than brand loyal where they said, I want to go get a burger. And then they just typed in burger versus like, I want to go, you know, find Applebee's specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think long-term that this is, this is where it's going to start to break a little bit because the, you know, the value to a restaurant moving forward is trying to get that data and access that direct channel service. And you're not really going to gain that much ground if, you know, you only do it straight through a virtual brand, you know, on one of these aggregator platforms. So, yeah, you know, you often hear or you heard, especially before COVID, where it's say, okay, you know, I, 
incremental delivery customers. Okay. But the ultimate goal is that I funnel them back into my website or I get them to start ordering through me or getting on my rewards platform and, you know, navigating them over. But if you can, there's no possible way to do that with a virtual brand, right? So, so you're going to be paying that commission and losing that data, you know, basically, you know, forever if you continue down that road. So the ultimate goal to me, um, and I think this is true of a lot of restaurants, is to find a way to keep that branding. You know, I talked to Bennigan's about this, and they're they're doing different kind of ghost kitchen setups, even in hotels and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think there's a lot of legs there because people recognize the brand, you know. And if you're doing crazy business that way, you could say, "Well, okay, I should probably open a brick and mortar down the street." But how do you gauge that really from a virtual brand? And maybe you open a brick and mortar off a virtual brand. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe that's a thing. You know, I I don't really know, but I think. You know, most restaurateurs would tell you, especially smaller ones, that the long-term play is to, you know, look down that ghost kitchen space over that virtual one. Um, But again, you know, did we think we'd have 100,000 virtual brands (laughs) here in 2021? Probably not. So, you know, who knows what happens? Um, It's hard to predict, you know, and, and we'll kind of see where we're at. But that would just be my... My personal thing, because I think that data is just ultimately valuable and you want to do anything you can to gather, collect it and use it to remarket and inspire a trial because that's where the game will always be won for restaurants. Yeah, I think what we see is, you know, opportunists will jump at a quick fix or a way to make a quick buck. And I think that's what this started as is, boom, I can get out there. And like you said, hey, I'm going to be top of the list because I'm fresh and I'm new, but as time marches on, there, there's a lot of this mentality of just design something nice, call it whatever, give it a kooky name uh, for the sake of it, um, which is great because there is an apprehension. There's not a lot of apprehension because it feels less, it feels ephemeral. It feels less permanent because it's a ghost kitchen. So we see fun names and fun brands coming out of this, but then there's no funds to market the brand. They're not putting the meat behind it to actually get beyond that that initial wave that everyone gets when they open up. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's, you know, there needs to be a future and that future has to be fueled by one, shifting to a place where you're able to get the data, where you're able to quote unquote own the customer a bit more. And then also like you have to market these things. It can't just be set it and forget it. And I think uh, the brands that choose to do that, they might find themselves looking at brick and mortar because they realize there's a nice uh, market for this in those areas. Um, you know, I could talk to you all day about this. I wish we could, but we're at, we're at 36 minutes now, Danny. Um, where can people find you, uh, social handles, all that. Yeah, sure. So you can always email me, which is just Danny at foodnewsmedia.com. Um, but yeah, if you want to talk about social, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I used to be a big Twitter user back in my sports writing days, but I have since exited that platform. <laughs> Probably better um, off it for is, it. <laughs> it's a wild west of opinions and, and uh, most of them horrible. So, uh, so yeah, LinkedIn would be the place to find me personally. Um, I try to stay pretty active on there. You will see Maggie photos every Friday if I stay on top of it, which is you know, great way to end the week. Yeah. Popular thing I do, but, uh, but yeah, just, um, you know, our, like I said, I think at the very beginning, sign up for our e-letters, um, every morning, everything is free. 
both our publications are free. And yeah, I look forward to uh, hearing from you. Just feel free to throw a question at me, you know, whatever you might have. Fantastic. Hey, thanks for your time today and all your insights. This is uh, incredible. Um, so definitely check out Danny and then also check out QSR Magazine and FSR Magazine if by some wild chance you don't already follow them. Um, a ton of great information out there and they've been fantastic at coverage during the pandemic, prior to the pandemic, and I know that will continue on. Um, Danny, thanks for your time. I very much appreciate it. Yes, thanks for having me. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.